You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Uh, thanks again for being here, guys. It's always a pleasure to see you and to be able to stay connected, especially when we're fall, uh, far apart. So happy to be here with you from Palm Springs this morning. We're getting ready to come back to um, LA in just a little bit. Um, but I am so excited about some of the things happening here and around Central. Um, so first of all, if you haven't done so already and need to, as Aaron said, grab some uh, communion elements, uh, anything that you have around your house uh, that can be your uh, bread and cup is great, whether that's uh, Cheetos and uh, coffee, that's a weird combo, um, or iced tea and Skittles, whatever that might be. Um, and we'll share in communion a little bit later when May leads us uh, in the service. Um, and uh, Angie's going to share more about some of the things happening around Central uh, coming up, but I'm excited to, to be able to share with you that we are starting to do some in-person events, uh, especially as um, vaccinations are so readily available and um, there are uh, so few cases comparatively um, to what there have been of COVID. And so we're looking forward to coming out of this really rough, uh, what, not quite year and a half. Um, and there's a lot of things we know will keep processing all of that as we go. But uh, for many of you, you're ready to come back and to do some things safely in person. So um, I'm excited we're going to be doing that. Uh, so join us, especially next week, after we have our virtual service, we're going to be meeting at Aaron and Emily's for a brunch immediately following church. So it'll be a little bit of a shorter Zoom service, uh, and then we'll have a chance to get together if you are feeling comfortable and safe to do that. Um, and we'll have more things going. If you haven't seen the list on Facebook shares some of the events that we'll be doing throughout uh, the summer, but we're really looking forward to getting a chance to see all of you in a safe way and moving our community, not just virtually, but back to being in person. Um, and then, of course, today is Father's Day. So, um, first of all, uh, if you are a father, uh, happy Father's Day. Um, but I also want to share that, uh, of course, um, we know that relationships in families can be really complex. And so Father's Day might not be a area of celebration for you for many reasons. Maybe you didn't have a wonderful relationship with your father, or maybe you wanted to be a father and haven't been able to, or maybe you've lost a father. There's so many reasons that can make this a complicated day as well. And we want to honor um, all of that and, uh, and know that uh, wherever you are and wherever you find yourself, um, we are just so thankful that you're here a part of this community. Um, so thanks for being central where we get to be mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers to each other, um, not to kind of replace any relationships that we have in other areas of our lives, but to kind of really embody what it means to be a bigger family of faith together. Um, so with all that in mind, would you join me in prayer as we open our service this morning?
God of love, God of mercy, God of grace. Those are all such big words that we often say because they're familiar, but they point to the reality that whatever it means to be connected with you, with the divine, is so much bigger than we can fathom. For those of us who have positive relationships with our fathers, we're thankful for the role and influence they've played um, in our lives. For those of us who are fathers, we celebrate and rejoice together. For those of us who find this to be a difficult day, who don't have a close relationship with a father, who've lost a father, who've wanted to be a father, um, we mourn together. We lift each other up in love and hope and grace. God, I'm thankful for you calling us to be this family here at Central Avenue Church, that you've called us to reach into each other's lives, to care for and impact and change each other and to reach out from here, to transform this space that we're in, in Glendale, uh, in Texas, in New Mexico, all the different places we find ourselves. Thank you for calling us into a family of faith where we work for something bigger, where we see something bigger, and where we just get to be present where we are. Bless this time, this time that we have together. We lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so this morning, instead of sharing a, a piece of responsive liturgy as we've done, I wanted to share um, a piece from a new book that just came out this week, actually, uh, especially coming off of our series of um, influences at Central Avenue Church. Um, this was fitting because it is a new book published by uh, Rachel Held Evans um, posthumously, which is uh, really fascinating. It is a children's book um, called What is God Like? And um, first of all, this is a fantastic book, even if you don't have kids. Um, but it is especially fitting here on Father's Day because it is um, very complex in how it comes together. Uh, Rachel started putting this book together in 2019, right before she passed. And so a close friend of hers and another um, uh, post-evangelical uh, author, Matthew Paul Turner, um, helped put her work together in this book. So it is by both Rachel Held Evans and Matthew Paul Turner. And it has a foreword by Rachel's husband, Dan, um, uh, which kind of shares just a little bit of uh, his experience and Rachel's um, going through being parents and the tragedy of uh, loss. Um, but I wanted to share just kind of this piece because we have often talked about how hard it is to do children's ministry here at Central Avenue. And Malin will tell you all about that as we've kind of come through a um, 
post-evangelical um, worldview um, and done so much deconstruction, it's hard to know what to hold on to and how we introduce what God is and who God is to our kids and teach them so that they don't have some of the hangups with their faith that some of us had um, with ours growing up. And so I'm going to share with you uh, just the first page and the very last um, section uh, of this book. And I'll show you the pictures too. Um, but uh, it's a book that kind of talks about what God is like and where you see God in and through everything. <clears throat> what is God like? That's a very big question that people from places all around the world have wondered about since the beginning of time. And while nobody has seen all of God, because God is far too big for any of us to fully see, we can know what God is like. And she goes on to share all the ways, sometimes using biblical analogies of what God is like. You can pick the book up for yourself if you're interested in seeing all of that. But after giving a thorough kind of list of all the things we can know about what God is and what God is like, she ends with this. And because we know what God is like, we know that God is kind, God is forgiving, God is slow to get angry, God is quick to be glad, God is happy when you tell the truth, and sad when things are unfair. She is your protector, he is trustworthy, they are friends when you feel alone. God hopes, God perseveres. What is God like? That is a very big question. One that people from places all around the world throughout all of time have answered in many different ways. Keep searching, keep wondering. Keep learning about God. But whenever you aren't sure what God is like, think about what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel brave, and what makes you feel loved. That's what God is like. I don't know, there could be a more fitting piece of liturgy on a day of a celebration about what being a parent is. And with that, I will hand things over to Malin, who is going to lead us in a time of communion together. Hey, everyone. So um, kind of going off of what Bob had said a little earlier, um, I'm going to read you something about Father's Day to start off our communion. Also, if you have not had a chance to grab some elements, go ahead and um, run and grab some while I read this. For most people, Father's Day is made of sugary sweetness, of crayon adorned cards and handmade gifts, of close embraces and tender words, ugly ties and lazy lunches and unapologetic kisses. For most people, it's a celebration and, a, and affection and gratitude overflowing. For most people, it's their heart 
Hart's warmly welcomed houseguest. But you are not most people, and neither am I. For you, Father's Day is the reopening of a persistent wound, an unwanted, uninvited, rudely, rude yearly reminder of something beautiful you had and lost, or a long-lived dream that finally died for good. It is a cruel calendar intrusion of regret and grieving and anguish, and it's hard as hell. I want you to know that someone understands. I want you to know that I see your deeply burdened heart and nagging pain you keep so well hidden, the steady stream of tears you wipe away in secret. And I want to give you permission to feel it all today. Every bit of scalding anger and every fist slamming moment of heavy sadness, the full crushing weight of all the loss and I don't want you to apologize for any of it. There is nothing to be sorry for. You have earned the right to let the furious flood of emotion come without holding it back. Let all of it out until there is nothing turbulent left, until all the heavy sobbing ceases and you can finally breathe again. And then in that place where you feel too spent to move, let me give you something else a gift that you freely receive without any shame or hesitation. Let me give you whatever it is you need this Father's Day and that thing your soul seeks most. Maybe, may these words be for you, the call that hasn't come or the one last hug you can't have or the words you've never received or the returning prodigal that remains out of sight. For one brief second, feel lightness and rest and hope again. And know too, that even your suffering is cause for gratitude. There is something to celebrate even in the sadness itself. Your tears are a beautiful tribute to the ones you've lost. This pain, the measure of the heart that works as it is designed to. Your grief, a heavy tax on loving so very well. Even in the great difficulty of this day, let these things be stable ground beneath your feet as you begin to walk again. I realize that Father's Day is not for you what it is for most people, but perhaps these words will make this one a little easier, a little less painful. In some small way, may it recover and redeem this space in the calendar for you. Today, as in any day, be greatly encouraged. So with that said, Please take your bread, Christ's body broken for you, and Christ's blood shed for you. Thanks for that, May. That was really nice. Good morning, everyone. So announcements for the week. Um, just a quick reminder that the gathering is pausing for the summer right now. But if you feel like you uh, want to dig into any issues or anything to explore, you can still reach out to Bob. Um, he is free to connect with you. And then um, just a little reminder that uh, next week, the 27th, we will be holding a brunch at Aaron and Emily's. It will be Pollock style. So please uh, bring something to share and make sure to RSVP in the Facebook invite. So Aaron and Emily know how to plan and how to set up properly for it. 
Um, it will be outside um, after next week's virtual church service. Um, and then uh, some additional details, uh, there will be a bouncy house for the kids and then vaccinated adults do not have to be maxed. Um, but right now I know that the kids can't be vaccinated. So um, Aaron and Emily are asking that children over two uh, be masked. Um, and then additionally, um, this Friday at three, um, we will have our first park play date for families. And all the details are in the email that May sent out yesterday. So you can reach out to her for any other details. And then I will pass it on to you, Aaron. Thanks, Angie. So prayer requests, words of Thanksgiving. Anybody have something they want to share this morning? Um, you can always put it in the chat or just unmute, raise your voice that way. Anybody today? Well, I'm also, uh, Max isn't here uh, this morning. He's up in Big Bear with, uh, with Karis for her birthday. And so he sent along a, a musical meditation for us. And uh, I'm going to share that now. Uh, this is a piece by Allison Russell. Uh, let me pull this up here. Hopefully I can do this well. <laughs> I'm gonna need to see uh, maybe thumbs up from somebody or somebody on mute because I can no longer um, see anybody make sure this works. Um, this is a piece by Allison Russell off of her Outside Child album, an album about desperate youthful survival and personal empowerment. This is her song, Night Flyer, and I hope you enjoy it. Six fireflies, 
that everybody can see and hear me now yes awesome you never know <laughs> hey Aaron um yes. this is Sarah Cortez that was so beautiful and it actually just sparked uh, a prayer request in me yes okay, if we could go backwards a little bit yeah um, let me let me just turn off uh YouTube here hang on a second okay. that helps go ahead Sarah um, if you could just say a prayer, please, for all of the stepfathers who have stepped up and um, loved the children that needed them. Um, and then in addition to that, um, for the biological fathers that they find their way and um, the truth and love that God really is. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful request. And, and uh, let's do that now. Mm -hmm. Loving God, we pray for these, this uh, concern and, and uh, on Sarah's heart and on all our hearts. First of all, that stepfathers uh, would just um, feel inspired 
uh, and, and full of just the capability of being a father in children's lives um, that they may not be biologically related to. We give thanks for stepfathers and just the heart and the willingness they have to, to, to step up and be a full-fledged father in our lives. We pray for all the stepfathers in our circles of influence in our own families, but also among our, our friends and relatives. And, and we just pray for, for their strength and, and their inspiration and their support. But we lift up also the biological fathers in our lives and in our circles. And we pray that they too might be blessed and um, just full of fatherly love and, and fatherly kindness and the kind of support that only a, a father can bring um, into our lives. And um, we pray for them as well in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Amen. Sarah. Thank you. So today is the day after. Yesterday was Juneteenth. I think many of you are probably aware of that. Um, this is a holiday celebrating the end of slavery in the United States. It is commemorated on the day slavery ended in the last state, which was Texas on June 19th of 1865. President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation had officially outlawed slavery uh, three years prior in 1862. However, enforcement of the proclamation generally relied on the advance of Union troops. Uh, Texas as the most remote of the slave states had a low presence of Union troops at the end of the Civil War. So enforcement there had been slow and inconsistent until of course, June 19th of 1865 when federal troops effectively ended slavery in Texas and therefore finally ended slavery uh, overall within the United States. In honor of Juneteenth, I thought we could revisit an important concept here today that we touched on briefly uh, maybe maybe it was about a month ago, but it deserves a closer look. It's this idea that Jesus was lynched and that the best way to understand the cross and understand why Jesus was crucified and what his crucifixion meant, and therefore what the gospel means, in, a, in large part, the best way to understand that is through the lens of the lynching tree, meaning the tree that black folk were hung on in, the, in, in America during the 19th and first half of the 20th century. I'm getting a lot of this today, and actually the core of it from the work of the late James Cone, who was uh, perhaps the original black liberation theologian started his work in the 1960s, and he's the author of the 2011 book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. In that book, he points out that white Christians have never made this connection between the cross and the lynching tree, even though scripture says in places like Acts 10, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Hear that again. They put him, meaning Jesus, to death by hanging him on a tree. You better believe that when many African-Americans in the South in particular read that or heard that read in church 100 years ago, their mind was immediately drawn to the terrible image, to the traumatic image of the lynching tree. The fact that white Christians then and now don't make that connection is evidence for James Cone of just how much we've misunderstood the gospel and read it from a white Eurocentric perspective. The fact is the cross was a first century lynching. This is really important to understand. The cross really was a first century lynching. And just like lynchings in the American South of the 
18th and 19th and even 20th century. Um, crucifixions were not uncommon in Jesus's day. A lot of people don't know that thousands upon thousands of people were crucified around the time of Christ. Uh, they were crucified by the Romans in the same manner Jesus was. His crucifixion was not unique. Countless people had been crucified around the time of Christ and for the same reasons he was. Crucifixion was almost always reserved for those guilty of sedition, for crimes against the state, guilty of challenging Roman authority, Roman power, which Jesus did by teaching that he was inaugurating a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. You'll remember that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, you remember that he kept asking Jesus at his trial, are you a king? Are you a king? Because to call oneself a king without Caesar's approval was an act of sedition, not to mention the fact that Jesus started riots in the temple. Uh, and he was also hailed as a king at the Jerusalem gate by a crowd just that week. We call that Palm Sunday, right? That, the excited crowd of supporters that obviously had revolution on their mind. All of this was illegal and seditious and punishable by death. This is why Pilate had the sign uh, that was hung above Jesus's head on the cross. This is why he had that sign read, King of the Jews. This was his crime, sedition. Thus, Jesus's crucifixion was a profound act of solidarity with the lynched and the crucified ones of the world, those who were labeled as threats to the established order and punished as such. And just like the lynching of a black man in the American South, the crucifying of Christ was done as a public spectacle. It was done in a public place. It was done to warn others not to get out of line and challenge the authorities or the status quo. In the same way, lynchings were done to uppity blacks that forgot their place and thereby challenged white supremacy. You could get lynched in the South by just being disrespectful to a white person. Lynching was a way of reminding black folks of their place and terrorizing them into submission and neutralizing even the slightest hint of rebellion. Crucifixions were done to people in the Roman world for the exact same reason. Therefore, Jesus's crucifixion should be understood as a profound act of God's solidarity with the lynched ones of the world with those who suffer at the hands of the powerful, with those who are humiliated and made a public spectacle of in the name of law and order. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, scripture says. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Christians must always ask themselves, therefore, who are those being humiliated and denied justice today? Who are those being crucified? or lynched by the ruling class? Who are those being lynched by those in power? Because they are Christ in our midst. Either God is identified with the oppressed to the point that their experience becomes God's experience, writes James Cone, or God is a God of racism. Cone goes on to say, the blackness of God means that God has made the oppressed condition God's own condition. This is the essence of the biblical revelation. By electing Israelite slaves in Egypt as the people of God, and by becoming the oppressed one in Jesus of Nazareth, the human race is made to understand that God is known or human beings experience humiliation and suffering. Liberation is not an afterthought. 
but the very essence of divine activity, end quote. This means that liberation is the gospel. Liberation is the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. It is the meaning of his proclamation in Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The inability or the unwillingness to see this and make this connection between the cross and the lynching tree is part of a much longer tradition in the American church, a tradition that values pietism over social justice and personal salvation and eternal life in heaven over the liberation of the oppressed here on earth. Frederick Douglass first picked up on this and wrote about it in 1845. And he had a name for it. He called it slaveholder religion or slaveholding religion. Frederick Douglass wrote this. The man who wields the blood clotted whip during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. The man who robs me of my earnings at the end of each week meets me as a, as a class leader on Sunday morning to show me the way of life and the path of salvation. He who sells my sister for prostitution stands forth as the pious advocate of purity. He who proclaims it a religious duty to read the Bible denies me the right of learning to read, end quote. Slaveholding religion was an interpretation of scripture in the 19th century that both reinforced the institution of slavery and the dehumanizing of people of color. Genesis 9, 20 through 27 was perhaps the most used text for this. This is where this is called the curse of Ham text. This is where Noah curses his son Ham, who some believe for arbitrary reasons uh, had dark skin. Noah declares Ham's descendants will serve his brother's descendants for the rest of time. No one actually believes today that's a proper reading of this text. Uh, but that's how most American Christians read it prior to the 20th century. It, it was a way of justifying the enslavement of black folk in the South and in, so -called, in, in the so-called free North. It was still read as a way of seeing black folks as lesser than and destined to be subservient and, and on the lowest rungs of the social ladder. Now, you'd be hard pressed to find any American Christian today who, who reads the text that way uh, or who would use any, any scripture to justify uh, the oppression of black folks. But you will find many evangelicals today who believe that the gospel has little or nothing to do with social justice or equality or preferential treatment of the poor over the rich. Most evangelicals, I would say, I'll go on a limb and say this, you know, most evangelicals, I would say, reject that reading as Marxist, socialist, you know, based in, in critical race theory and a kind of secular religion of wokeness, they would say. These evangelicals believe instead that the gospel is primarily about personal salvation, meaning right belief, theological orthodoxy, one's personal relationship with God, and of course, getting into heaven when you die. And to be clear, that, that otherworldly that, that supernatural, that, that hyper-individualistic reading of scripture is contemporary slaveholding religion because it denies the meaning of the lynched and crucified Christ. It denies the body and blood of Christ as the body and blood of the lynched ones of the world. And it does so in order to support certain social hierarchies, to be clear. It does so because it has an under 
an underlying political and social agenda. It does so to support certain social hierarchies and political convictions, or at least not challenge them. The meaning white supremacy, capitalism, nationalism, and, and this idea of chosenness, which is a really important idea in white evangelicalism. This idea that America is a chosen nation of God and that white Europeans were, were chosen by God, called by God to seize this land, displace its native population, of course, and seize this land in order to create the greatest nation ever, right? Once you peel back the layers of all that and understand how it's all intertwined with evangelical theology and evangelical readings of scripture, you come to realize that evangelicalism is basically just the latest iteration of slaveholding religion and functions as a way of keeping white Christians, namely white Christian straight men, let's, let's expand it out to that. It, it functions as a way of keeping them at the top of the social ladder and everyone else on various rungs below. The antidote to slaveholding religion is of course the cross and understanding it as a lynching tree. That understanding, if, if it's fully accepted, obliterates slaveholding religion, past, present, and future. And, and moreover, that understanding moves us to social action. It moves us to social action, this understanding of the cross. It must, it, if, we are, if we are not moved to social action on behalf of the oppressed by our understanding of the cross as a lynching tree, then we have not yet properly understood the cross. James Cone puts it in historical perspective for us when he says that the cross was really at the heart of the civil rights movement. This is quite profound. Cone, who was, of course, uh, working in the 1960s and was part of the civil rights movement, he believes the cross was really at the heart of the civil rights movement. He writes this, one could correctly say that the spirituals, namely music coming out of uh, the African-American experience, uh, that the spirituals and the church with Jesus's cross at the heart of its faith gave birth to the black liberation movement, to the black freedom movement that reached its peak in the civil rights era during the 1950s and 60s. It was Jesus's cross, Cone goes on. It was the cross that sent people protesting into the streets, seeking to change the social structures of racial oppression, end quote. This is, this is the real power of seeing the cross as, the lynch, as a lynching tree and the body and blood of the Lord as the body and blood of the lynched and oppressed ones of the world. Such an understanding calls us to action on their behalf uh, for, to care for them, and because to care for them is to care for Christ himself. And, and for me, there's, there's deeper religious or deeper theological implications afoot here, and I'll finish with this. The God who has become one of the powerless and weak ones in the world, the God who has become one of those subjected to power rather than the, rather than the God of power, the God who has become one of those subjected to power, and, 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 and crucified and killed. Um, this, this God who, who has been crucified signifies that we must become God's hands and feet in the world. We must live as if God is not all powerful and cannot intervene in history and save the day, except through us. We must live as if God is not all powerful. We must live as if God is counting on us to incarnate her to make her real, to take on this responsibility, to answer, to answer each other's prayers and become God's healing and liberating presence in the world. Otherwise, God doesn't exist in a tangible way. 
you know, perhaps you got to be a bit of an atheist to be a Christian. Because again, to be a Christian is to understand that God has become one of the weak and powerless ones in the world. God is, is one of those subjected to power and even death itself. God is crucified. God is dead. God is negated in Christ. God is poured out into the world in Christ, Philippians 2. And yet God is raised now. God is resurrected now as a Holy Spirit in us the temples of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. God is raised in those of us who take on the mantle of Christ in the world and proclaim his message of liberation, love, and hope to those oppressed. For me, this is the deeper theological implications of, of seeing the cross as a lynching tree. Nothing is more radical than this. Uh, it is to understand that God is not a symbol of supernatural power, supernatural deliverance from on high, a God that intervenes in our lives and saves the day for us and guarantees happy outcomes. No, this is a God who calls us to act, who works through us in the world. Uh, the, the cross of the lynched God is a symbol of God's solidarity with us in our weaknesses and our powerlessness and our calling to stand in solidarity with each other and therefore find the strength and the power to overcome this world together. These are the dialectics of the cross for me and the deeper implications of the cross and the lynching tree. So that's my talk for today. And as always, for those of you who are new, we have a little chat uh, at, uh, at the end here. Does anybody have something they wanna comment on or, or a question, disagree with? You can always disagree with me here as well, but yeah. Um, no questions. I just, I just want to say that was very profound and I'm just like soaking it all in right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that's, 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 uh, sorry, go ahead. What else? Oh yeah, no, that's it. I just haven't, I haven't heard that and it's a lot and I'm just, yeah, soaking it all in. It is, it is kind of a lot. Yeah. And uh, I always aim to try to say a lot. And so I understand that often it's kind of like, you need to sort of let us digest all that, Aaron. <laughs> And I always like, I'm always like, what questions do you have? And it's kind of like, um, I'm still kind of reeling, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. drinking, I know sometimes it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Um, but yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, but I, oh, but I agree uh, with, with a lot of it. I liked a lot of it. So yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Sarah. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm James, James Cohn's book, the cross and lynching tree. It's actually really concise. It's maybe like a hundred pages and I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's, it really gets into the history of, blue, of blues music and spirituals uh, in the African-American um, experience as well and how all of that is involved with language of the cross and, and the black experience. And uh, it's, it's really a profound book. And, you know, Jason pointed out uh, last time we talked about this a month ago that, you know, he's never and we've never really heard of that before. And it's, and it's kind of an indictment, I think, of 
white Christians that we've never made that connection between the cross and the lynching tree, even though it says right there in the Bible, you know, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. And of course, the cross was reserved for those who were threats to the established order. It was a way of, you know, it was a public spectacle way of demonstrating, you know, anybody who gets out of line, this is going to what's, this is going to happen to you too, right? And uh, it definitely was a lynching. It needs to be understood as such. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I appreciate some of these comments in the chat column here too. Yeah, uh, Akila, you're right. It wasn't just something that happened in the South. That's right. Lynching happened in the North too. I think often people think, you know, oh, those, those Southerners were the racist ones and the Northerners weren't. No, no. The Northerners were just as racist as the black slave owners in the South, or the white slave owners in the South. Uh, it's just racism took on a different, well, it was still just as deep in the North. It might not have had the slavery, but it was just as deep. We'll put it like that. And the West, yeah. yeah. It's a fair point. Yeah, does it make sense why so many evangelicals today are so adamantly resistant to this to this presentation of the gospel? Um, I uh, was recently talking to um, a, a family member, <laughs> evangelical family member, about some of this stuff, and they were they were, you know, adamant that critical race theory is not had does not have anything to do with the gospel. Um, and certainly maybe 10 years ago, I would have agreed with them. But yeah, I think I think it's important to understand just how radical this idea is and how resistant uh, so many Christians are today to it for obvious reasons. Yeah. Any other comments or, or questions today? Maybe what has been your experience talking about these matters with your friends and family? What insights have you gleaned? Hey, Aaron, it's me. This might seem a little bit off topic, but um, talking with family members about these types of issues, um, especially my, you know, like my older friends that are evangelical Christians or even um, aunts, uncles, parents, things like that. I think for me, one of the biggest things that it's taught me is to not be like, just to be open-minded for my kids so that they don't have to like to just keep learning. And I think that is the biggest, I, I, the biggest thing for me is just like, no, be open, be open all the time because you are wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just been the, the biggest thing for me, just kind of going through this and talking to people in my life. Yeah, that's a great insight. It does it, you know, in a more general sense, it reminds us, you know, if I was, if I was so wrong, you know, before about all this stuff, what else am I still wrong about? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Scary though. You know, unsettling. That's okay. 
Yeah. Anything else today? Okie doke. Well, thanks for being here, everybody. It's 11 a.m. Getting out a little early. And uh, next week is the brunch over at uh, my house. And uh, it'd be great just to see everybody as many as possible, you know, in the front yard. It's going to be, it's going to feel like the church is getting back together. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be great. So we're really looking, looking forward to seeing you all. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, we are done. You can hang out and chat if you'd like, but uh, we are formally dismissed. Thanks for being here. Uh, Akilah, nice, nice meeting you, uh, newcomer. And uh, we'll see you all next week, hopefully. Good to see you all. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Have oh, my pleasure. You have a wonderful day.